Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Today, I am so excited to be welcoming Dr. Catherine Multari to the show. Catherine is a naturopathic doctor based here in BC, and I'm thrilled that she's taking the time to share her experience and insights around the role of nutrition and supplementation in building resilient brains that allow us to be our best. Let's jump in. Well, welcome, Catherine. I'm so glad to have you here. I'm so happy that you said yes to doing this with me um, because I'm really excited about this topic. I feel like it's a really important topic, and I'm really glad to have found someone who feels as passionate about the idea of this topic as I feel about sharing it with those who are listening. Um, because today we're talking about the idea of how nutrition and supplementation fits into brain resilience and brain health. And it's like such a pairing. It's kind of, I think the thing we know we could, should, would be doing better differently. Um, my hope is that we don't just talk about how people should eat salad. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, I feel like we need to kind of like move past the, like what we kind of basic thinking about healthy eating and kind of move into the things that actually value how our brain and bodies work and give back to us in ways that feel significant. Um, But before we jump into all of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, about your story and what led you to specializing in naturopathic health? Absolutely. Well, I love, thanks for having me, Lindsay. And I love that you said we're not going to just talk about salad because I must say, I can't remember the last time I've even had a salad. Um, but I would yes. say fairly I like healthy. you already so so it sounds like it's going to be a good fit uh I grew up in Windsor Ontario southwestern Ontario and it's a very industrial area there and you know there there wasn't much exposure to the health and wellness industry so growing up there I always knew I wanted to be a doctor I knew I wanted to be a doctor um because I wanted to help people. That was the main draw. And then then I went away to university and found myself on that track to medical school. And it wasn't until um, I started becoming an elite athlete, I was in the sport of rowing and rowed to the national team and competed internationally. And as an elite athlete, you're exposed to a lifestyle that helps you not just survive but thrive and so then the pillars of health the diet exercise visualization all of those types of things became really significant and important and so I I molded that experience I had as an athlete with my 
desire to help people. And that, that flourished into this idea of the type of doctor I was going to become. And it's, it's really funny because with my exposure in a, growing up in a blue collar city, I had no idea what a naturopathic doctor was. So here I was telling people, oh, I'm going to be this unique doctor who doesn't just prescribe pharmaceuticals, I'll prescribe pharmaceuticals when needed, but we're going to spend time with patients, get down to the root of their health concerns. And I, I thought I was going to be this unique person and was a little <laughs> bit humbled when one of my friends said, do you mean you want to become a naturopathic doctor? <laughs> like, I thought I made this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> So, so with that though, I was really thankful for, for that, um, for that introduction to the field of naturopathic yeah. medicine. And then, um, only once I actually then got into naturopathic medical school and started practice, did I realize how much more helpful naturopathic medicine can be even outside of just diet, nutrition, exercise. Um, we, it, here in BC, we have full prescribing rights. So it's, it's fantastic. And I feel I do patients wonders when I can prescribe pharmaceuticals, but I won't unless I have to. That's amazing. I mean, I love the, I love the background story of kind of like surprising myself with this idea being far more real than maybe I thought it was initially. And the blend of your background, right? Like the I want to be a doctor. I want to help people pieces mixed with your own experiences as an athlete who got to maybe have exposure to degrees of um, natural interventions and different forms of intervention than the average person might get to have. It's kind of a unique way of entering into some of that work. So I think you know a little bit about high stress, given your background as an elite athlete. Um, And as you know, the people who listen to this podcast are people who work in really high stress jobs, are often doing shift work, um, who are facing high degrees of exposure to really intense um, environments and stimulation. They also tend to work in really toxic environments, like where the dynamics of the workplace itself is quite dysfunctional. Um, and my hunch is that you have seen people who maybe come from this background, paramedics and, um, nurses and corrections officers and police and that kind of thing. Um, when you interact with those kinds of patients, what are some of the common problems that you notice, um, are facing those who work in those kinds of environments and like what shows up a lot as it relates to their general wellness? Yeah. And so this, this question, originally, I I was trying to focus on the diet nutrition piece of things. But then when I thought a bit further, commonly, when I see first responders, they, they're generally actually quite educated on what good nutrition is, what good sleep patterns look like, um, overall health and wellness. However, a common trend I see is that continuous low grade stress. So that's stress every single day, even to a small degree, and then frequent high-grade stress. So uh, for instance, if it was a firefighter, the continual low-grade stress because you have to be alert and ready to go, and same with any type of first responder, really. And then the frequent high-grade stress, meaning when the call comes in, um, when when it's ready to, to go, go to the scene. And what that does to the physical body and it becomes this pattern where 
it happens all the time and an individual is continuously stressed and so they don't feel it. But then what I see is that manifesting in their health. So the most common, the most common picture of first responders that I see across a variety of first responders I work with is this general inflammatory picture. So inflammation can can manifest in many different ways. For some, it manifests physically where you see the individual just being really puffy and maybe they have some weight gain, but it's not really it's not really adipose the fat tissue that you would expect, for instance, in the mid area. They still have maybe it's hard to fit on their rings, like that type of puffy. Or you could tell if somebody's face just looks puffy, you can't see their jaw bones as well. And then it manifests inside the individual as well. So the feeling of always being exhausted, burnt out, despite getting, say, the appropriate amount of hours of sleep a night, you still feel so tired. And then another thing I commonly see is the difficulties finding excitement. And I, I have, have a hard time articulating this. But for instance, if, if you were to go to a concert and the, the opening act plays and then who you've been waiting for all for a few hours comes out and that just rush of adrenaline and rush of excitement to see that, that entertainer you've been waiting for. And that just seems that excitement response just seems to be a little bit dulled across the board. And I attribute this to uh, adrenal burnout because your adrenal glands, they secrete a variety of hormones one is cortisol, so they're constantly working. And so cortisol is your stress hormone. And so when these frontline workers experience the continuous low-grade stress day to day, the cortisol, even if they don't feel stress, is, is pumping and the adrenal glands get a little bit worn out. And so then when it's time to secrete the adrenaline, noradrenaline, um, it, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love you're kind of speaking to this piece that we talked about a bit. Um, it'll be a couple episodes ago. Um, this idea that when we are in positions where we experience persistent stress, which is that like recurring constant low grade stress, along with the frequency of higher grade stressors that our brain does this thing where it volume knobs it, right? Like it tunes it down for us. So we don't feel stressed yet it's not like it stops being there. It's just running without us having as much conscious awareness to it. And the wear of that still shows up in our bodies. And I think I get the, I think my clients are the ones who come when everything has crashed down so hard that they finally have to take a look at it. My hunch is that a lot of your patients are probably in the same place where they're noticing the wear of their body and are curious why their body isn't showing up the way that they're used to it showing up or wanting it to show up in their world and not understanding the pairing between how their body is displaying these different pieces and how that actually reflects on more significant pieces related to their stress because they feel separate when our brain tunes out stress consciously we're not feeling it we have a hard time making the connection there Absolutely. And that's something that I, I was hoping that we would talk about, and I'm glad that we are, is your analogy of the dam or your analogy of the, 
the soundboard and tuning down the, the sound, although, and the sound being the stress, although the, the stress is still there. And so where I come in and, and kind of my expertise in this area is seeing the physical manifestations of that. So I see physical manifestations of cortisol being the stress hormone being always pumped out. And yeah. we're, we're human in every, in every capacity. And with that, we don't have this abundance of cortisol. So mm-hmm. someone might have a more stressful job, so to speak, in, in terms of however they want to perceive that. Um, they might get stressed out, say, two times a week, three times a week. But actually, chronic low-grade stress that you don't even feel can be more detrimental than the ones that you feel. And a good example to kind of put this to practice is one I see commonly is blood sugar. So blood sugar, it's it's measured uh, average every three months by a marker on blood work called HbA1c. And this is a marker that helps diagnose diabetes. And we want this marker to be below six. And commonly, I've had a handful of patients who they actually have exceptional diets and exceptional exercise routines, which contribute to this marker, yet this marker is still elevated in absence of a family history. And that's because cortisol, the stress hormone, directly feeds into blood sugar management. Um, Cortisol, when it's high, our insulin, which uptakes blood glucose, isn't able to do its job as well. So it leads to insulin resistance which then leads to things like diabetes and even before diabetes, just metabolic dysfunction, which is what kind of explains that in some part, the puffiness, the inability to um, maintain weight, even, even though um, your diet is the same, your exercise is the same. So that's kind of the physiology behind the stress weight that may ones may be experiencing and it's kind of it's it's unfortunate it's such a vicious cycle because then when you when you get stress weight um there's hormones in the excess fat excess adipose tissue and then that also um makes makes your metabolism harder to function so it, it's kind of like a, a vicious cycle unfortunately um there are therapeutics that we can use to address this this type of picture so we'll talk about that i'm sure in a little bit cool I'm really excited to get to that piece and talk about that. I, I want to make sure before we move on that we feel like we've kind of done a thorough job of covering off the common challenges that show up for those who you see who are kind of from this population. Um, and it sounds like there's this initial picture around kind of inflammation. There are some pieces connected to um like the stress cycle and and the way that that does become a vicious cycle for sure. I also know that I talk with a lot of people around just having like no time to cook, having um, a lot of like snacking on the go when they're being called out a lot. I hear that mostly from paramedics. I also am hearing it more and more from nurses who are so short staffed that they're not able to really take a proper meal despite all of the union regulating around their permission and need for proper meals. It's just not possible right now, given the the way that the system is right this minute. Um, also tending towards more processed foods, things like that. So from like a purely nutritional standpoint, I think there are some really common pieces that I hear about. 
I wonder if there are any others that kind of go with that for you. Those are, those are the main ones that I see as well. And another one that I would add in would be hydration. And that's something that I've seen even more so being a challenge with always having to wear masks on the job for most, for most individuals. So even for nurses, for instance, when it used to be okay to have a water bottle at the workstation and stay hydrated, which is important for metabolism, is important for energy, we all know the importance of water. So that's another thing that I would add into the list of, of challenges and um, now common challenges amongst the dynamic we have currently. Um, mm-hmm. skipped, skipped meals is one I also commonly see. So there's definitely snacking on the go processed foods and skipped meals is like, it's so common to hear amongst uh, the first responders of not having a lunch or not having a, yeah. a dinner or not having a breakfast because of the the nature of the job and the nature of the calling and that that can unfortunately wreak havoc on the circadian rhythm and so the circadian rhythm is the fancy word for your natural wake and sleep cycles and metabolism so it goes back to the paleolithic days where and just our our ancestors before industrialization where we would the sun would be what would wake us up and then when the sun goes down we are no longer exposed to that blue light from the sun mm-hmm. and that that reduced blue light causes increased melatonin production which makes us then feel sleepy and go to bed whereas now with with all this technology we have blue light from our screens blue light from our lights overhead then our melatonin isn't naturally being produced and we don't feel tired and so we go to bed with a racing mind and that poses its challenges in in helping us get to restorative sleep and then another thing that that is is a challenge for first responders is the shift work right because then you're going against the natural cycle of the day and and that can be definitely challenging to to work with and overall just getting away from the circadian rhythm the reason i bring this up is because that offsets metabolism so that's when we get off circadian rhythm that's when we kind of need snacks more often because we don't really know whether we're hungry or not or we might feel hungry and um skipping meals gets us off that circadian rhythm and poses a challenge to our health right it's like its own version of a vicious cycle. Well, and I'm super excited because we actually have a sleep specialist who specializes in circadian rhythm and who um, has an entire program around supporting shift workers who's going to come on and do an interview in the next week or two. Um, And I'm so excited about that for that exact reason that it is so vital. Um, Really, it's why I'm excited about this whole series because every piece of it is vital. Um, I think this is kind of the series that I hope if people listen to zero other things that we make, that this is the one they come to because every single episode feels like it's something really, really important to just our basic health and well-being. Um, you brought up this piece about melatonin and it, it peaks something for me because I feel like I talk to you, especially those who do shift work about melatonin a lot. 
I also, as a result of um, some of my own health issues that I was having a couple of years ago and a conversation I had had with a neurologist while we were exploring what was happening around my, my health stuff, um, the neurologist had brought up that one of the things that people are quite highly deficient in, women in particular, is magnesium. Um, and so I wanted to throw at you also this piece just as, a, as general challenges that you might see in your practice around deficiencies. Like, are there certain things that you find that those who work in this kind of high stress environment or those who um, do engage more in shift work or things like that are more deficient in and should be considering supplementation for more than they might be thinking to? Yes, that absolutely is true. And there are, there are deficiencies that I commonly see amongst um, a population that deals with a lot of chronic stress. And we'll, we'll dive right into that. So, so absolutely, the neurologist was right. Magnesium is one of the first, first minerals that is depleted during stress in the stress response. Uh, one of the reasons being is the adrenal glands require a lot of magnesium as well as B vitamins to support their production. And, and it depletes nutrient stores across the board. So one thing I commonly advise for, for first responders and, and people who undergo chronic stress is to rule out any deficiencies. So when was the last time that you had blood work taken? B12 and iron are common causes of anemia. Anemia is low red blood cells meaning low oxygen carrying capacity, and that leads to fatigue. So the first step is to rule out, rule out the deficiencies and the low-hanging fruit of let's check your B12 status, let's check your iron status. Uh, these are things that are commonly run by uh, general practitioners, walking clinics, family doctors. So those are things that need to be ruled out as it's really common to see deficiencies in people who have high stress in those areas. And then next, I would, I would say the next most important supplement would be herbs that are called adaptogens. Adaptogens help support the adrenal glands. So it's just a fancy word for a class of herbs. Ashwagandha, maca, holy basil. These are all examples of adaptogens. They're, ginseng is another one. They're herbs that support the adrenal glands. And then in terms of supplementations for all of the above, whether it's magnesium, B12, iron, adaptogens, adrenal support, it's important to get a high quality supplement um, that doesn't have a lot of fillers in it and that is in its most absorbable form. Mm -hmm. This is something that I've learned throughout my practice. Patients notice a difference whether they're on a high quality or low quality supplement. If you're on something, you should be feeling a difference. Um, and so it's important to, as I say, avoid expensive poop, avoid <laughs> just taking in supplements for the point of taking them in and then not doing anything. So if you're ever on a supplement and you don't notice a difference, it's either not a good enough quality or not a high enough dose. I'm curious how you kind of evaluate, cause I've heard that before from a lot of different places, this idea of high quality supplementation as a consumer walking through your pharmacy's naturopathic section or wherever, like how, how do you as a consumer kind of evaluate for that other than to look for the most expensive one? Uh, like <laughs> what's the, what's the way that you would go about kind of seeking that out? I'm just really curious. 
Yeah, and that's a fantastic question. And I think a question that needs to be answered for a lot of different people. So some some brands, and I'll, I'll hit on a few, I'm not um, paid by any supplement brands, but some brands hold themselves to higher standards. So one thing that should be noted about nutraceutical companies is I think the standard for a product to be on the shelf for dosing is an example of, of the claim versus the actual dose in a product is about 60%. So if you go to Shoppers Drug Mart um, and, and look at a product that says it's a thousand milligrams of vitamin C, it might actually only be actually 600 milligrams that you're taking because the the standard is pretty low. So dose is a, is a factor. And then anything in its, for instance, oxide form. So if you have a magnesium oxide, oxide is the, is the least absorbable form and ones that are commonly seen in, um, Shoppers Drug Mart. So, so ones such as Life Brands, Jameson's, Nature's Bounty. Those those brands are tend to be lower quality and use a lot of filler and the oxide form that are not absorbable, and it would be hard to notice a difference. Just in general, I think health food stored supplement departments. So, for instance, like a Palm, um, Nature's Fair, Whole Foods. Those types of stores tend to sell more reputable brands and the professional line brands they are third-party tested and hold themselves to higher standards so they will guarantee for instance 95 percent of the dose so you know actually what you're having is what it claims to be and is better absorbed so for magnesium this is this is a good one so for magnesium the glycinate or bisglycinate form is the most highly absorbed so that's what what people should be looking for and and that will be a good brand will carry that. So better brands are ones um, such as Natural Factors. There is Sisu. Um, AOR is another good one. These are ones that you can find over the counter and and hopefully helps so that you're not just looking for the most expensive one. I think if you go to any type of health food store, you'll be in better hands than um, at Costco or, or Shoppers Drug Mart, London Drugs. Okay. Fair enough. I really appreciate that because I feel like that's one of those things that we say, but then what does that mean? So I really appreciate you taking the time to, that wasn't one of my questions I had given you, but I appreciate you being willing to answer it. Um, I wonder, I feel like we've kind of touched on this, but um, in terms of the impacts to our brain and our capacity to be resilient and sustainably meet the demands of high stress work um, and our lives when our nutrition and supplementation um, feels compromised. I feel like we've talked about this idea of like energy. Um, we've talked about this idea of persistent stress. I wonder if there's anything else that you'd want to add to that around the impacts to our brain and to our capacity to be resilient. Absolutely. So in terms of the brain specifically, I want to touch again on melatonin because a little known fact about melatonin is that melatonin is actually a very potent antioxidant for the brain. So what antioxidant means is essentially it cleans up the debris, helps in optimal functioning. So, and that's melatonin both as a supplement and in a natural form. So our bodies should naturally, naturally produce melatonin. So avoiding things like blue light and having a good sleep routine where you're either reading before sleep, you're using blackout curtains, um, getting into the darkest of environment while you're going into sleep 
will help stimulate the melatonin production and kind of clean up the debris in your brain so that you can both get a restorative sleep and reduce brain fog. So that's an example of, of an intervention, whether it just be good sleep hygiene or a supplement to help your brain be more resilient. Um, And then helping, I think helping the immune system as much as possible is also pretty, pretty helpful because when the immune system is functioning, that's one less thing that your body has to repair overnight. And it can, it can focus more on the brain and the central nervous system. So sugar is when, when it comes to nutrition, yes, processed foods, but also sugar um, is, is greatly overconsumed in our day to day. And I, I know you mentioned Lindsay of, of listeners trying to take one, one kind of takeaway from each episode. And I encourage you if, if this one resonates with you to try to see the sugar intake, whether it be obvious or hidden in your current routine and just try to reduce that a little bit um, because sugar dampens our immune system. It creates more fatigue. It really wrecks havoc on our metabolism as well. So just eliminating slowly, gradually serving a sugar a day and, and moving, trending in the right direction can be helpful to get the most resilience out of our brains to meet those demands of high stress work and life. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and it's true. Like I think our family at one point for reasons I will not go into right now. But um, <laughs> at one point, my husband decided that our family needed to go vegan. Um, and so as a result of that, it, it in some ways really changed our attention about the processed foods we were eating, um, which for a period of time really cut down the amount of sugar that our entire family was consuming. Um, and then we discovered that living vegan is impossible. Uh, (laughs) It's impossible because it's not convenient. And when you have, you know, a very busy life and young kids and whatever, convenience is like a need that you have. Um, And so when you tend towards more of the vegan convenience foods, they are not good for you. (laughs) They're so not good for you. And so we kind of found that we swung in the other direction where we were still technically vegan, but our health wasn't feeling as strong as it had been initially when we were first putting in a lot of effort around cooking and making our own meals and not doing as much processed stuff. Um, And since then, I feel like we've kind of like swayed back to some version of middle um, that does, we're not entirely vegan anymore, Um, but that really is this kind of like recognition of the need for a lifestyle that feels doable given the demands on our life while also trying to limit how much junk is added into what we're consuming and it is sneaky like it shows up in so many sneaky little places and we are people who are so busy that it is hard to find the time to really look at what's inside of some of what we're taking into our bodies and being conscious of it. Absolutely. That, yeah, that resonates a lot with me. And, and I tell patients if they're looking for a naturopathic doctor, that's the one to take them off of everything and turn them into a vegan, hundred percent whole foods um, consumer, then I wouldn't be the person for them because I, mm-hmm. I understand the, 
the I, I understand life and the demands of life and I meet a patient where they are and and my my goal is to welcome all of the listeners to to just kind of reflect following this episode on on where they are and what they may have learned and how they can move in the right direction because if you're moving in the right direction that's progress and I would rather see someone doing really well three months down the road six months down the road than have a really good month and it not be sustainable and move in the direction the opposite direction following that I love that yeah totally I think there's uh I don't know if you know James Clear he wrote a book called Atomic Habits no okay so um I love his book. It's really good. He also has a really good video on his website. If you look him up, James Clear is the author's name. Um, He talks about uh, habit formation, essentially. But one of the stories he tells is a story about, I think it's the British cycling team and how their coach came in and really focused on this idea of doing 1% better every day. So it didn't matter what thing they were doing 1% better at. Sometimes it was like their tire pressure or their gear ratio, or like, like really tiny, detail-y bits and pieces. Sometimes it was like their hydration or whatever, like little things, but doing any given thing 1% better each day. And then he talks about this idea of like the, the summation of that effort is that in a year, you're doing 365 times better mm-hmm. than you were at the start. Right. And mm-hmm. how significant that is, but how little it feels in the day to day commitment to the effort. Yeah. And that's and, and having been an athlete myself, that's a lot to ask for when you're at a, such a high level and mm-hmm. you've already optimized so many things to ask for one percent more is is at that level even really challenging. <laughs> yeah, so. totally. But like to be able to do that in our own lives, to kind of take the application of you know, maybe it's, I think we do this thing where we're very all or nothing as humans, right? It's how we're wired. So we do this thing where we're like, she said sugar is bad. So I have to go on like a 30 day no sugar cleanse or something. And then it feels hard after like a minute and we quit and then we feel junky Mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, can we commit to 1% like I'm gonna I'm gonna do 1% better at something and if that's I'm gonna drink a half a glass more water for the next couple of days each day or I'm going to cut out you know the one extra teaspoon of sugar I put into my coffee or whatever it is I'm gonna take the time to evaluate some of the foods that I consume to see what they actually have in them and maybe make a different choice, or I'm going to choose the higher quality supplement than I might have otherwise to be able to kind of like break it down into something that feels more doable. We might find ourselves more successful at sustaining it. I agree. And I think I I know from my own personal journey, something that's been really helpful in terms of making sustainable changes has been Mm -hmm. education and understanding like when, and I see it in some of my patients as well as when when patients and people in, in general understand why, for instance, like I'm glad we went deep in, in terms of the supplements, because when listeners understand and, and when when people understand why this over that, they're more likely to make the change. And when individuals understand that sugar actually depletes your your immune system and if you have a, a big chunk of sugar, you're more likely to get an infection of any sort then you're more likely to understand 
okay, I can't completely eliminate sugar from my diet, but I can move in the right direction and that is going to have an impact. I'm going to become sick less often. I'm going to sleep better. I'm going to have a more clear brain. People are more on board and, and understanding how it doesn't have to be in all or none, as you mentioned. Yeah. So when you think about the top priority, so someone comes into your office from this kind of line of work and they are complaining about some of the, the pieces we've identified as some of the top challenges. What have you found most helpful when supporting those patients? And like, what are the first, you know, three, five things that you would suggest or recommend, find yourself recommending typically in those kinds of situations? It's a great question. Um, one that kind of ties together a lot of things that I've been saying is, mm-hmm. is optimizing the circadian rhythm as much as possible. And so even if someone's on a night shift, it's still, as we mentioned, creating a like proper sleep hygiene. So blackout mm-hmm. blinds, creating, making sure all of the, the environmental pieces are present for a body to naturally produce melatonin while we're sleeping. And if it is, if we are sleeping during the day, then, then you can take melatonin um, supplement to help give that antioxidant effect to your brain and, and have that restorative sleep. And you can't, you can't out supplement anything. If, if an individual is not sleeping, if an individual is not sleeping right, then no diet, no nutrition, no exercise is going to make up for that. So sleep is, is kind of the very top of my list and to prioritize. And then um, second to that, I would say ruling out any deficiencies and, and the common ones. So the iron deficiency and the B12 deficiency, like I really welcome everyone to, to get routine blood work. Um, mm-hmm. And something that's kind of thrown to the wayside in, um, <laughs> in today's day and age. And especially now that, that doctors are, are harder to access, it's something that's kind of not looked after, but, but everyone should really be having a blood test every year to make sure things aren't creeping up. And um, lastly, just reducing inflammatory foods. So inflammatory foods are processed foods, sugar, um, alcohol. So all of those things, it's not all or none. You don't have to eliminate any of that. But I use the word reduce intentionally because we don't have to eliminate just everything in moderation. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And I think, again, because we do tend to be all or nothing thinkers, having that reminder that we don't have to go off the deep end with it, but can we be a bit more conscientious of how we're interacting with some of these pieces? What are some of the really quick win things? Like, um, you know, people listening to this can be hearing some of these ideas around sleep and around um, inflammatory foods and some of those pieces, but they're going on shift in a couple of hours and they know that they're not going to get a regular meal and they know that they're not going to really get to implement some of this until their shift set wraps up and they can wrap their heads around how to put this into their life. So what's something they can do in five minutes when they finish this and interject right now to help make a difference? Yes. I love that you asked this question, Lindsay, because it's true. I'm, I'm talking about big umbrella pictures, like 
large, like over, over, Mm -hmm. overhead, like looking at things, but yes, what can you do now? And so daily grounding is one that I think is fantastic. So grounding being take off your, your shoes, take off your socks, go walk for five minutes in the grass. And I know it sounds, it sounds wild. You wouldn't expect me to say that, but just the connection between the bare feet and the grass, the nature can have such positive impacts. It will immediately drop your stress levels that, that, and that low grade um, chronic stress, it will immediately drop that. And there are is study after study after study to show the benefit that nature exposure has on an individual. And it doesn't have to be being in a forest, being up on a mountain. They've shown even bringing plants into people's environments. So house plants has had a positive impact on anxiety, depression, mood. So very quick win is a daily grounding, bare feet in the grass. Um, yes. <laughs> and then also another one is breath work which that can be done very, very quickly. So I always like to talk about box breathing because it's something that could be done in a minute. So it's called box breathing because it could be, I I say four seconds. So four seconds, inhale, four seconds, hold, four second, exhale, four second, hold. And so that idea of equal amounts, inhale, hold, exhale, hold forms the box. And you could do that, say, four times. And that also helps. We talked about cortisol being elevated and cortisol being always up for for chronic people in chronic stress situations. This breath work too helps decrease the the low grade cortisol. So I'm starting to talk really fast because I get so excited about this, but it doesn't just have to be diets and supplements. It can be walking in the grass, doing some breath work. Other, other um, quick ads are adding an extra serving of vegetables a day. Mm-hmm. So maybe today you go, or fruit, so maybe today you go and pick up an apple instead of a coffee. Maybe you get your coffee, but instead of two sugars, you have one sugar. Maybe you go to the health food store and look for that adrenal support or adaptogen support and start taking that daily. That's awesome. I love those suggestions and I think all of them are good. I think one of the ones I started with for a while was just adding a glass of water to my morning routine. Mm -hmm. And I have found that that has made such a significant difference to my Mm -hmm. mood and outlook on the day when I start the day. Um, I used to like Mm -hmm. shovel in a piece of toast while yelling at my kids to brush their teeth (laughs) and trying to straighten my hair all at the same time. And taking, like, I wake up maybe five minutes earlier so that I can sit with my toast and a huge glass of water, and I probably chug it more than I should, but it's in me, and it feels like it starts the day in a fresher place. And I think, like, I don't know that anyone has ever regretted a glass of water. So, you know, it's those pieces, and I love that you've had some suggestions about, like, add just one little thing or take away just one little thing instead of focusing on it being so big. I also love that you made suggestions around grounding and breathing because I think it reflects this piece that is showing up as we continue in the series that while I'm trying so hard to divide these topics into like fitness and nutrition and sleep and mindfulness, (sighs) that the brain is interconnected. So none of them actually physiologically stands on its own. They are all so interrelated because our brain is interconnected. And all of its functions depend on these various pillars 
for our wellness to be comprehensively attended to. And so I love that you, from the naturopathic nutrition kind of standpoint, are speaking to some of these pieces that might tend to fall more into the like mindfulness pieces that we'll have more conversation about another day. Um, because it's, it's hard to just speak to the one thing. They are so connected to one another. Exactly. They're so connected. And then I, I think that, that in part, I, I'm kind of giving a teaser to a lot of the other episodes because the way I see myself as a naturopathic doctor, I'm kind of the quarterback of, of patient's care. I see the whole picture and we, we develop a comprehensive plan to make sure an individual has all of these all of these tools working for them. And, and I specifically am well-versed in the nutrition, the nutraceutical supplement um, and lifestyle side of things. But um, if, if a patient is, is still needing some additional support in the mental emotional aspect, I refer to counselors. I refer for energy healing. I, I definitely refer out, and I'm always listening to what the experts have to say on breathing, sleep, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of, I think, the really interesting thing about naturopathic wellness is like this willingness to being open to drawing from so many sources. I think when I have explored some of my own health concerns with my GP, there's been a mixture of limitation to kind of only such a like very rigid medical model kind of perspective that ignores so much uh, information that's out there from sources that may not be as seen by the medical community. Like one of the things I found in some of my own health journey was um, even like blood work. So you talked about this idea of having annual blood work. I love that that's something we should be doing. Um, But even that like my blood work came back normal as my GP is reading the results. But when taken to a naturopathic doctor, the the nuance was taken into much more consideration than <laughs> my GP was willing or able to take. And so things that my GP was like, yep, all fine. Um, but I'm still having all these symptoms. Mm-hmm. A naturopathic doctor looks at it and is like, oh, I can I can see in five seconds why you're having the problems that you're having. Because while within the thresholds of normal, this is a little bit high and that's a bit low. And the combination of those two things means this. And it, I found that so interesting to see how, how the nuance of that is taken into so much more consideration. Absolutely. It's, it's a different lens. Um, in, in publicized medicine, it's, it's hard to have the time to make sure that everyone is healthy. So I think the, the, the lens is a little bit different. The lens is absence of disease. So um, what, what, what a GP assesses is you, it doesn't look like you have diabetes. It doesn't look like you have this. But what if a patient is trending in that direction? And that's kind of the, the different lens that, that I have. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of brings us to, to what is considered normal. When's the last time your doctor asked you, if you're having a daily bowel movement, that's easy to pass and fully satisfactory. Mm-hmm. That's something that everybody should have every day. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then we need to figure out ways to get you there that are going to actually help your overall health. Maybe it's a lack of fiber. Maybe it's a lack of water. Maybe it's a lack of exercise, or maybe mm-hmm. it's even something deeper, but 
for instance, if somebody ha- is having chronic constipation, we know that that, that leads to um, other problems because your waste pathways aren't open. So it's allowing greater time for waste products to be reabsorbed into the liver and your health suffers as a result and your inflammation increases, you don't feel well. So um, that's, yeah, that's kind of how my lens is, is not just making sure that patients are within the range, but how are they doing symptomatically? And mm-hmm. I think we've normalized feeling tired and we've normalized um, mm-hmm. pains in, in your stomach and your gut. And we've normalized these things and normal, normal does not, should not mean you're, you're having really bad stomach pains and you're having really bad fatigue and those types of things. Mm-hmm. I love that you're naming that because I think that I, I can't even count the number of times clients have come in and said, I took this to my doctor and they said, well, pain's normal at your age or, you know, <laughs> weight gain is normal after you've had a couple kids or, um, you know, fatigue is just what life is after 35 or like, these blanket statements that don't seem right. Like they don't Mm -hmm. seem like that should be what I'm the best of what I'm able to accept for the rest of my life. And yet when that's what conventional medicine says is just, this is what's normal. And when we see that reflected in so much of our culture that we wear fatigue as a badge of honor, Mm -hmm. that we must be living our somehow best life that busy is like a marker of success and stress is just this hallmark of doing awesome things. When we're normalizing that culturally, we do tend to just then accept it. And I think that that's part of why this series really matters to me is this idea of like, why are we settling? Why are we deciding that after giving so much to serve communities as first responders and frontline workers, why should we then be the ones who settle for illness and for proclivities towards early mortality rates and like really mm-hmm. unsatisfying pieces of life when I think that the people who pour in this kind of work in our communities really deserve to have their best life. And mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that there are people like you who are out there trying to help people find aspects of that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I have a high, high level of respect for all first responders and the measures they go to, to help our society and help our society function, help keep our society safe, help keep our society healthy, helping others really. And it is, it is quite, um, I, I do feel a sense of, of sadness sometimes seeing the detrimental effects that it then takes it takes a toll on on the health of, of those individuals who are so selfless and and mm-hmm. do so much for others. Yeah. So as we wrap up for today, one of the last pieces I wanted to ask you is where can people go for more support? So having heard from what we've talked about today, there might be some people who really feel like their story is echoed in some of the pieces we've talked about. And what could be their next step in trying to figure out what they can do more for their wellness in in respect to nutrition, supplementation, naturopathic medicine, some of those pieces? Mm-hmm. So I, I do work with individuals and I work one-on-one together with the individual to really see where they're at, what pieces of the puzzle that we discussed are, 
are really big areas of concerns for them? And how do we develop an individualized plan to get them to as good health as they possibly can be at and then to maintain that? Um, so I, I encourage people to, if you're interested in working with a naturopathic doctor to come work with me, it is um, covered by most extended health benefits. And and other than that, I, I also hope that if that's not accessible for some that I've given lots of good clinical pearls and and take home pearls in this in this episode that allows you to implement a little bit more of that extra one percent in every day of how how we can move our our life see where it's at and move our life in the right direction towards health that's going to serve ourselves so that we can then serve our our front lines and, and then serve those who are out there that we um, are meant to serve yeah Thanks for that, Catherine. I also will ask, assuming that some people are not in BC or uh, have extended medical benefits, but aren't able to see you directly, what's a way that people can connect with a naturopathic doctor that feels like it's likely in alignment with their needs? Like, is there a directory or some kind of resource that helps to connect people? Yes. So in BC, there is the BCNA, which stands for the British Columbia Naturopathic Association. Mm-hmm. And that is our professional association that has a directory where you can find um, an, a naturopathic doctor close to you. And I would encourage you to, I would encourage you to uh, attend a meet and greet or a discovery call. Most of most NDs do that out there. I do that as well. So I would also offer up that as a free meet and greet to see if it's a good fit. Um, and then I, I do work virtually with patients across the province. And if it's out of province, then um, each province and state have their own association. So I would encourage you to look up their naturopathic association where there should be a directory in terms of where to go to find a good fit. Perfect. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Catherine. My pleasure. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and talking with me today and sharing. You're right. There were some really fantastic pearls in there. There are some that I'm for sure going to go to the drugstore and take a look for. Yeah, I just, and I, you'd be proud. I just downed my 800 milliliter (laughs) glass of water while we spoke. So perfect. We're all (laughs) set for a good day. One last thank you to Dr. Catherine Moltari for taking the time and sharing such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to talk with such phenomenal experts about topics that really fundamentally shape who we are and how we're doing. I do hope that you'll take some time to reflect on what we talked about today, and I want to challenge you to find one thing to work at implementing into your life from today's episode. Also, I want to continue to challenge you to share this podcast series with others in your life. We want a movement toward wellness on the front lines. I know you pour so much into serving those you work with in your job, but they can't have the best of you if you don't serve your own needs. And that is so true on a much wider scale. Our communities will fail to have the best helpers if the helpers are all burning out. So share this and help everyone working on the front lines to have access to skills for sustainable wellness in the face of the work you do. As always, please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. 
I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. Until next time, stay safe.